Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Hey, it's December. Is this the Christmas show? This is the Christmas show. This is the RV Navigator. And this is Ken, your RV Christmas Navigator. You need some jingle bells. (laughs) Want me to go get some jingle bells? No, I'll add them in the sound effects later. Okay. If I remember. (laughs) Anyway, you are listening to the December 2017 podcast podcast. Episode 152, I believe, of the RV Navigator. We welcome you to this festive season of snow and cold winds whipping around in the Chicago area. Not true at all. It's 60 degrees today, (laughs) even though we are in the Chicago area. But we are talking to you from our underground bunker. (laughs) Called our basement. On our leftover equipment that we left over here at home. Because because the official Wiseman studio is in the motorhome in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I've been struggling greatly with having two homes with not all of my stuff in the right home. Uh, We just finished Christmas dinner at our house, and every time I reached for a kitchen utensil, I realized it was in Nevada and not here. I'm having a hard time being a two-home person. Well, we will have to adjust that by buying all new stuff here at home. It is the Christmas season, and we just passed Black Friday. And what did you buy? And Cyber Monday. What did you buy? Nothing. Oh, I bought a rolling pin. Oh. And what did Ken buy? Well, you don't have it yet, I don't think. No, but I was forced into buying a new iPhone. Gave me a break. iPhone 10, which I was surprised I'm not going to be getting for quite a while, almost two weeks. Can can you last that long? Well, I wasn't really planning on buying it so soon, but uh, unfortunately the website put the delivery date off quite a ways and so i'm going i bought it in anticipation of having it in time for christmas when i can give myself a nice present and you were looking forward to going to the new apple store on the chicago river but now we don't have that excuse to go down there and see that new building Uh, which is supposed to be architecturally interesting yep so that's the flagship store in chicago but we left you ladies and gentlemen On the plains of Nevada. In the desert. In the desert. We left you. We were in Tonopah. Oh, what state was that in? Nevada. Nevada. Tonopah, Nevada, where we... Toured a mine. Right. We toured a mine, did all sorts of other things there, which I'm sure you can read about in the blog. But leaving Tonopah, we were headed... We decided to head to a national park. Which we'd never heard of. Which we'd never heard of, but... Because it's a national park. Hey, what the heck? Let's go. We love national parks. And the weather held off and it did not snow. And driving across the West, for those of you who haven't done this, is quite an experience. We drove over 200 miles and saw about four cars on a two-lane highway across the desert. We went up and over the mountains, up 
and over the mountains. And it was just a constant, well, it was a very interesting drive, but a very constant up and down. We'd go up 3,000 feet and then down into the valley because the mountains in that area are north and south, and we were driving east. So they were like ripples. <laughs> yes. I find it very disconcerting when we begin a day's drive and it says the next facilities are 162 miles away. Um, I'm very grateful for our large water tank and our large gas tank, and it was absolutely no problem, but it could be. I, it's, what an in, empty area in, of the in, country. In this area, or in the Midwest, it's impossible to go very far without seeing a gas station or a store or something. But here... There were signs on the highway warning you that the next facilities, the next place to buy gas, was 167 miles away. And when you got there, there was a sign just outside of town that said the next one is 87 miles away. So, And, of course, did you have any choices when you were there? No. So, and, and when you're on a road whose only claim to fame is that it's the world's loneliest <laughs> highway, <laughs> that's kind of sad, I think. <laughs> They actually advertised that, the world's loneliest highway, Highway 50, and we were on it. We went uh, to the exciting town of, oh, I forgot it already. Baker? Baker, yes. Baker, which is on the border. So on one side of the border, they sell gas, and on the other side, you can gamble. We were camped in a campground, but it was a motel as well. And so the building and its facilities were very carefully placed on the piece of property so you could have cheap gas and gambling and all your needs could be met. It's kind of sad. The the last two places we camped in that area, the only places to buy groceries were at the (laughs) casino, (laughs) which I thought was kind of weird. But it works. So this was quite a different experience than we have had around home uh, or around most places where it's more or less urban. This was that very rural experience that you don't see very often with long, straight roads. And for going to a national park to find that the closest campground, well, not even the closest, the only campground was uh, 20 miles away and part of a motel. Wasn't there a campground in that Oh, I think, well, it was definitely not a service campground. Well, and that's the other thing we had to keep watching out for is that things were beginning to close as we moved into November. And just because the place had a campground, you couldn't assume that it was operational at that moment. Right, right. So we had to stay a little ways away, but it was fine. Yeah, and we have not had any real trouble with campgrounds. As I read many of the Facebook message boards, it seems that many people are finding difficulty in getting a campground, but our experiences out west have been very good, and we haven't experienced any campground issues except once, and that was no real problem. Okay, so we went to... Great Basin National Park. Which is scenic... I think it's special because of where it is, not because of what it is, because it's in the middle of that rolling, desolate desert, and Great Basin National Park is on a mountainside, and so part of the park, you climb up all the way to Bristlecone Pine Territory, Uh and Uh you go through various uh, climate zones, and the plants change. Of course, we've done a lot of this so far. So we're jaded. And the other thing that you (laughs) do there is um, go through a cave. That's a guided tour from a ranger, so we did have to have a reservation Reservation. for that. 
you believe that? And even during the very down, down season, uh, there were pretty many people. I think it was almost full, the tour. Yes. Um, so that was kind of cool. 20 people. So can you recommend going to Great Basin National Park? I would not go out of my way. And to get there, you're going to go out of your way. <laughs> it's kind of like Big Bend. It, yeah. It's well, a, a long yeah. way out of the way. And once you get there, you say, mm, it's nice. But but yeah, when we got to our next stop, uh, the lady said, where'd you come from? And I said, Great Basin. And she beamed at me and she said, oh, isn't it beautiful? So Maybe, maybe more beautiful in the summer. Maybe if you're not jaded. It's dry. It's cool compared to the rest cool. of the desert, I bet. It was pretty. It was pretty. Okay. So from there? Um, from there, we went to Cedar Breaks, which is a national monument. If you've been to Bryce Canyon, you've seen the same scenic. kind of scenery as you do at Cedar Breaks. And I think the main reason it's a monument is because the colorful formations and hoodoos, as they call them, uh-huh. are on a very small piece of real estate. Our intention was to do a little hiking while we were there, but it's over 10,000 feet in elevation, and it was cold. Yeah. So we drove. Well, we're talking about November, so it's not really unexpected, but. So we drove from one overlook to another, took some great <laughs> pictures of hoodoos, and jumped back in the car. Um, it's located near Cedar City, which was an easy place to camp. There are a lot of places to camp. And there. from there, we headed down to Zion National Park. And, you know, people talk about staying in state parks with big rigs and things. And we found a state park called Sand Hollow. Sand Hollow State Park on a lake. In Utah. Very near St. George. And St. George, Utah is kind of famous for being very warm. And we were uh, t- excited about being warm and warm because it's it's low down in elevation. Watching the TV from Salt Lake City and they were getting snow and the snow machines were working on the slopes to make it great for skiing. And here we are sitting in 75 degree weather. Okay, we like that. And we decided, because it was close to Zion National Park, to spend a couple of days in Zion. And I was surprised at how busy Zion was for November. Zion, like Yosemite, um, has to use the shuttle bus system because it is in a valley, and that's a confined space. So if too many people come, there's nowhere to park. And we were surprised to see that even this late in November, the shuttle bus was still operational. Yes, I thought it stopped at the end of October. And there were plenty of people there. Plenty of um, people. A lot of the voices that we heard did not speak English, which said to me it's a world-class uh-huh. park. And I would agree. When we visit a park like that, we would prefer to go with the car and be able to park but it is what it is and we prefer to go in the off season but the off season here is probably january when it's snowing yeah because it definitely gets cold there and we also had a chance to go to the colob canyon part of of zion which is a separate area altogether closer to cedar city cedar city and cedar breaks and then we spent a day doing the eastern end of the park which is the park you can't drive a large motor home to because there's a tunnel that you have to go through and you have to make <laughs> special arrangements with the rangers to accompany you as you go through the middle of the tunnel and they they stop the traffic on the other side. We've never done this even though we've been to Zion a few times, not because it's scary but because we didn't need to for where we were going. That eastern end of the park that is outside of that main valley is spectacular too. Um, totally Very different nice there, rock yes. formations. Yes. Zion is well worth a visit as well as Bryce, but we didn't make it to Bryce this time uh, because uh, the weather was just plain too cold and we were having a good time in our campground. We stayed at this state park (laughs) that, unlike most state parks, has full hookups. And 
we stayed in a non-reserve site. And just drove right in. Drove right in. And we said, do you got a full hookup site? They said, yeah, we just happened to have one. And it was this huge, as well, all as were all of them, scenic with mountains in the background site. And we stayed almost two weeks. And we had a nice fire ring so we could have some oars. And no and, neighbors to speak privacy. of. But, but the park was pretty busy. Yeah. The main reason people go there is they bring their toy haulers and bring all sorts of OHV equipment, which <laughs> I think of as highway vehicles, ATV, OHVs, yeah, cruising around in sand dunes, machinery, and there is a separate section of that campground that is specifically devoted to those people. Although you can camp on either side, and they had a big um, rally while we were there, and all these people and vendors showed up with all their equipment. Jeez, that's, that's a real sport. That's though. not that something that we do, but it's it. very popular out there. So if you get out in the in the St. George's area, which is in southern Utah, uh, you might want to take a look at uh, this this state park because it is truly spectacular to go there. Just spend some time because it's a really nice wilderness experience. I mean, our campsite was as big as a football field. And there's a nice lake for all sorts of other recreation activities. You could easily swim, and they had a very nice sand beach and, and things. Fishing was... Fishing, however... It was not that warm. No. I mean, it was in the 60s, basically. We haven't seen rain in a couple of months. We've been really lucky. So all of those areas now are under storm sieges, and they are snowy and cold, and we just keep looking up there and saying, ooh. We were, we're just there. there. We were just there, and glad we're not there now. As you know, we seek the 70s, and so we were in St. George. And from St. George... We headed directly to Las Vegas, not because we're gamblers. But because it's such a cheap place to leave the motorhome <laughs> while we flew home for the holidays. And it's not a expensive place to fly in and no, out of either. Right, right. So we flew home, and at the moment we are in our Chicago home, and we are enjoying the holidays with the family, having had Thanksgiving and shopping holidays and all sorts of uh, activities coming up. Because we enjoy Chicago in the winter. And after I'm done talking to you, I'm putting up my tree. But is it cold? No, it's not that cold. 60 today. I know, but in Las Vegas, it's 80. Yeah. I see on Facebook a lot of RVers who struggle with Christmas decorating and in a confined space, that is a challenge. And then what do you do with the stuff after the holiday is over? So I am relishing having another opportunity this year to put up the tree and all the accompanying decorations so inside and outside. So that's been our month. What's new with you? Well, you're not going to tell us? Okay. <laughs> our listeners have not corresponded. So let's talk about some great ideas for Christmas. Do you have some gift ideas? You bet. Oh, one of the things that struck me recently was cookie dough cafe chocolate chip cookie dough. Now, you're not supposed to eat Cookie dough. Why? Because of the eggs and sam raw eggs and salmonella, I think. My mother let me do it. Well, my mother didn't I've let me had... do it. And she, she said, didn't. She said there would be worms in the flour. I, I've never seen that. <laughs> she was trying to scare you. My mother didn't try to scare me. She let me lick the beaters uh, for when she made chocolate chip cookies at Christmas time and the sugar cookies. Is it less <sighs> calories if the dough, the dough is uncooked? Oh, I'm sure it is, yes. <laughs> But there's a company that now makes edible chocolate chip cookie dough, and I bought some. 
edible raw chocolate dough. Chip. It's dough. Dough. It's not meant to be cooked, and you can't cook it because it doesn't have eggs or anything in it that makes it rise or whatever cookies do. So I bought it, and you can too. You can go to your store, and you can buy edible cookie dough from the edible from the cookie dough. Let's see. What's it called? The, the cookie, cookie dough, dough cafe. cafe. Right. And they have uh, – we just went to the grocery store, and we went to Walmart, and they had it sitting in the section, the cooling section near the yogurt. Refrigerated section. Refrigerated section, right. So that's my guilty pleasure for the month. Well, no, not really. I have many guilty pleasures this month. I'm much more excited about (laughs) your raspberry pie. My raspberry pie? You enjoyed my raspberry pie? (laughs) It's really awesome. It's very awesome. But it's not edible. I made a raspberry pie, or I used a raspberry pie to make an ad blocker for the Internet. Yeah, that's a small, compact computer that's headless that you can just buy. This is a little techy, I'm sorry. But I've been reading about this. You can do major projects with Raspberry Pi as the foundation. So the Raspberry Pi is the little computer. It's about the size of a note card. You can buy it on Amazon. No, a a package of playing cards. It's about the size of a package of playing cards. (laughs) It's the size of a note card, but about two inches thick. <laughs> and you buy just the, the raw computer. Why can't but, you just buy it? You had to buy a case. And a... Well, because everybody doesn't want a case. Oh. See, for instance, I bought, uh, I didn't realize this, but my display, which I also bought, which I have right here, this is the display that you plug into it, but this display does not work with the case that I bought. So it's like a monitor, that display? Yeah, that's an LCD so touchscreen monitor. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same size as the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. About the size of a 3x5 card. Like a playing card. <laughs> no. It's not 3x5. It's small. It's like a deck of playing cards. For a computer, it's small. A very small act- but mighty. Right. There's this very active community which does Raspberry Pi projects. And if you go to raspberrypi.org, you can see many of the projects. And it's all open source, which means that it's free. And you share with the community. So I read about an ad blocker for the Internet. Now, this is cool because one of the problems that you have in in an RV is the fact that you have to pay, essentially, the data charges to download ads that you don't want. Every web page that you uh, download has ads on it, except for... The RV Navigator Of page. course. <laughs> you didn't chime in there quite as fast as I was expecting. <laughs> Wait, she's not paying attention at all. Uh-huh. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Raspberry Pi. I'm thinking about what I want to say next. <laughs> about the Raspberry Pi? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the Raspberry Pi... Uh, I bought it from Amazon. It came there uh, about $30, so they're not expensive at all. And you can do all sorts of cool things with it. You can make robots. You can make home automation systems. You know, anything that a computer can do, this thing will do because it has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Ethernet, all the ports that you want on it. And you have to add accessories. So if you want like a, uh, a security camera, you can add a camera that will that you can control. But I wanted to make an ad blocker. So that was just a matter of the software. So I went to piehole.net and that's P-I. Like 3.1416. That's right. 
that's the, the mathematical pi. So I went to piehole.net and downloaded the software. I downloaded the operating system for this. I put it on a SIM card, put it into the slot, and now I have an ad blocker, which I hooked up to our network and uh, did a little bit of programming to the router, and which anybody can do because it's a very cookbook approach. And now our web pages don't have ads. Well, they still do have uh-huh. ads, but only the ads that come from the same web domain, web domain right. as the page itself. So this, this software, actually it's hardware and the software that goes on the, on the Raspberry Pi, it blocks the ads from 106 different domains. So many domains, many... 106? 1,000. You didn't say 1,000. 106,000 uh, domains, and those domains are primarily, their goal is to dish out ads on demand. If you're fortunate enough to always be on fairly quick internet, this is a seamless process, and you don't really realize where all the ads are coming from, but there have been times when we've been on cruise ships with incredibly slow internet, and you sit there and watch one quadrant of the website load at a time, and that's when it dawned on me that many of these pieces of the web page were coming from different sources. And why wait, why pay for the ads that you don't really want to see in the first place to load? Exactly. So this won't help you on a cruise ship, but we put this head of our network here at home, and I'm going to build one and put one in the RV because we pay a lot for data on the RV. And why should I pay for ads to come into my web pages? I just don't need that. So I'm going to put one there, too, and have it block out the ads. Now, in the last 24 hours, it has blocked 3,000 ads. Between the two of us. Between the two of us. Just the two of us doing ordinary web surfing, nothing really heavy-duty. We were just sitting and watching TV and doing some web surfing, and... 3,000 ads. But initially, where did the highest usage come from? Well, it also has a network manager, and it tells you who is using your network and what, how much traffic they're, they're sending out. And, and it I, wasn't you, and it wasn't me. Well, it was me, but it was our weather station. weather station. Exactly. Our weather station was calling home about every 10 seconds, and so the largest amount of traffic was coming from that. So I blocked that so that it won't be doing that anymore. So it has uh, many capabilities. The Raspberry Pi is a fun little project, and if you're looking for something computerized to give your computer geek for Christmas, you might want to talk to them about a Raspberry Pi and building a Pi Hole, which is the ad blocking component. So that's the ad hole. Uh, the Pi Hole is just uh, software that you install onto your Raspberry Pi. Is that too much? Too complex? Oh, I almost understood it. <laughs> And you could probably do it, right? I don't think I could make it. If work. I put it in the middle of the Betty Crocker cookbook, could you do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> With my new rolling pin. With your new rolling, you got a new rolling pin. Yeah. Why? Because a rolling pin is a, there's nothing technology the about a rolling one. pin. It's better than the old one. Why? It has different rings on it, rings. so you can smoosh out the dough at varying heights, thicknesses. And who cares about that? Somebody who's trying to make something with dough. <laughs> Different thicknesses of dough. If you're trying to roll out dough for a biscuit, it's going to be different than if you're rolling out dough for a cookie or a pie. Really? Really. (laughs) 
And you, how have you gotten along all these years without a, without the dough? Well, I had to do it by eye. Without, by eye. <gasps> now I've got rings of varying heights. And if you don't have the same size ring on both heads, you got tapered. Yes, <laughs> that would not be a good strategy. Okay, so we have some um, Christmas gifts here we thought we would put together, some ideas that we have come up with for interesting things for your RVing friends or for your husband or your wife. Maybe a, a, a rolling pin that does various thicknesses would That's be. That's not very RVing. I'm leaving where that did you, at home. Where did you, you are? Yeah. Oh, where'd you get that? Amazon. Where do you get everything? Oh. Uh, I would suggest that you take a look at an RV-specific GPS. Numerous people have had problems with uh, either directions. Our regular GPS, uh, as a matter of fact, in Las Vegas, wanted us to do a U-turn to get onto the going the right direction on a highway that had a divide in the middle because we couldn't make a left turn into our campground so that it said, oh, just go down and make a U-turn. And the RV GPS had us come in from a different route so we were going in the right direction so that we could make a right turn into our campground. That's the difference between a car GPS and an RV GPS. And, of course, another worry with RVs is low bridges. And so when there's a route that is maybe going to go under a bridge, if the GPS, the RV one, says Uh it's okay, then I feel comfortable doing it. And sometimes when I'm looking at our map plan, a route and the direct route is a tiny little thin gray line. I'm never quite sure whether the RV can handle it unless we put it into the GPS and it confirms that it's okay. So what do we recommend? Ram McNally 7. Inexpensive, $199 and great software, a 7-inch screen, touch sensitive, and all the Graham McNally software is the same no matter which model you buy. So it's just a matter of features. So uh, buy the cheap one unless you need all those extra features like a backup camera or Wi-Fi connectivity or who knows what else. But I have to add again, there is no GPS that is perfect. And we still run the Garmin next to the Ram McNally. And I have Not a paper, we, you. And I have a paper map on my lap. <gasps> a paper map? And sometimes they don't all agree, oh. and we override it. You do? Yes. You override it? Yes. You're better than a GPS. Sometimes. Oh. Uh, next thing is a subscription to RV Mobile Internet. Uh, this is a great website run by uh, a couple that are very active in the technology community, and they talk about cell phone connectivity, about boosters, about Wi-Fi, all this from the perspective of a RVer. They have several books. If you're interested in finding out about RVing and Internet, then they are the ones that you need to talk to. Well, actually, just go to their website. That's rvmobileinternet.com. And I'm a, a member, so they have uh, not only lots of free stuff, which is good, as, as well as several books and a brand-new version of their book coming out, as well as uh, a subscription service, which gives you more in-depth information. Anything you want to know about Internet and your RV, this is the people to talk to. Don't be posting questions on Facebook and all the other places, they this is the place that you get the information that you Ask need. Ask somebody knowledgeable. That's the bottom line. I'm also suggesting that you might, we've had a very good time with the Spark. And what's the Spark? It's your latest iteration of drone. Of drone, right. DJI product. And it's now 399 <clears throat> 
When you're the first on your block, you never get a good price. So this year it's come down $100. It doesn't require a controller. It doesn't require uh, extra accessories. Uh, And it's only the size of your hand. Not only is its size good for RV storage, um, it also seems to be a little quieter and less frightening to the uninitiated who may or may not notice some machine flying over their heads and wonder if somebody is spying on them. We wrestle a bit with where we can use the drone and not get in trouble. Because all the national parks say no drone. Or not bother people. This is definitely uh, less uh, intrusive. I guess that's the word I want. So the Spark, and that's uh, $400 right now, $100 off, and it's available at Best Buy and all of the major retailers. And don't look for anything big because it's it's very small. But it has a very nice camera, and it's a very nice platform for shooting video as well as shooting stills. And it has seemed to have held its own pretty well, even in breezes. I worried that it was so small it would get buffeted around, but it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, I have uh, recently purchased a metal. <laughs> this is kind of going to the opposite end of the scale here. This is quite inexpensive. A metal insulated water bottle. I like ice, and the plastic bottles that you buy when you for sports bottles are often uh, not good enough to hold ice for very long, especially in humid or hot climates. So I bought a nice insulated one that was less than $20 and 32 ounces, put ice in it, and it lasts all day, which is really nice. So, And the sound of the ice cubes clinking <laughs> against those metal walls always make me think he's a madman drinking cocktails from the 1950s. I like ice. So the, the clink of the, of the ice against the metal bottle really <laughs> is a pleasant tone. Uh, but uh, I've just found that uh, I used to think thermos bottles, but, uh, you know, those were the metal ones. But now they have a metal liner. Or the whole thing is metal. And they're nicely insulated, so they really work well. I don't know why I haven't known about this before. So you're probably looking at yourself and saying, what the hell is he talking about? We've been using that for years, but I didn't know about it. And that's why we have the RV Navigator podcast. Shortly before we left Las Vegas, Ken installed our Guardzilla. Guardzilla. Um, we've had it for a while, but it to guard whatever it is you want to guard, you need to be on Internet. And the campground where we have left our motorhome, we have electricity so we can have Wi-Fi and the Guardzilla will send us... It's connected up to the Mobley. ...will send us pictures of the interior of our motorhome on our phones. As a matter of fact, we can look at them right now. And it will send you a message. This is a security device. And it has an alarm if somebody breaks in and walks around in there. I think I've mentioned the Guardzilla before. And you can talk to them and say, get the hell out of my motorhome. But I haven't really had a chance to to use use it it because I didn't have internet... There is the inside of our motorhome on your Las phone, Ve- on my phone in Las Vegas. Well, is that cool? It is, and I can even listen in because it makes me a little uneasy to leave it alone for so long. But um, we can keep an eye on it. That's Guardzilla. If you're looking for a security device for your motorhome or your trailer, and you have full-time internet, this is a great little device. It has an alarm. It has uh, so that it, it'll beep or it'll, the horn will sound when somebody breaks in, and it will give you an alert. This, in, in addition to the spot that we have, which is the device on the roof that keeps track of where the motorhome is located, uh, are two pretty good devices for managing the security of your 
whatever you have. Next one, the portable fire grill. Because I am a campfire fanatic, and Martha is a... S'mores fanatic. S'mores fanatic. And these days out west, there are less and less places that let you have a campfire, understandably so, since we just spent the fall dodging forest fires. Very small, very light device lets you make a fire two feet off the ground. Right. It has a stainless steel... Pan. Well, mesh which folds up and goes into a case, and so the whole thing is only like 20 inches long. And then it has kind of a tripod, and you build the fire on the stainless steel mesh. And that keeps it off the ground, doesn't burn up the grass and all that sort of stuff, but you can have yourself a real fire. And we like real fires. And not make a mess we of carry the campsite. Firewood and not make a mess of your campsite. So that's the portable fire grill. The digital tire pressure gauge, important. She has nothing to say about digital about the digital tire gauge. How much tire pressure do you need to put in your tires? Well, you don't know until you weigh your your vehicle to find out how much pressure to put in your tires. I know pretty much because we've had ours weighed, so I need a tire pressure gauge to go around and check. And the primary change is with the seasons. As it gets cold out or warm out, the tires uh, inflate or deflate. Yeah, How about all these expansion. elevation changes? That, that doesn't really make. affect it much. Not much uh, less, not, huh? No, much less. You're right. Another item that you might want to think about uh, buying your RV, well, actually anybody, is the tracker. It is spelled T-R-A-C-K-R. And you can attach this little device to anything that you are afraid you might lose or forget, like keys or a wallet. I have it on all my keys. Um, a piece of luggage. Nothing like getting into your RV and finding out that you don't have your keys or you've lost them or they're someplace else. Or they've fallen down on the seat or something and you don't know where they are. This is a tracker and you buy you can buy them in like sets of five. It has an app so that uh, whenever it's nearby, you can press the button and it will find either your phone, uh, if you have the tracker and you don't have your phone, or if you have your phone and don't have your keys, you press the button and it'll find your keys for you. It'll go beep, 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 and let you know where it is. So that's a high-tech way of finding your keys, but oof, there's nothing worse than, as I found out in last time we were in Arizona, when I lost my keys... We never did find them. Oh, no, we did find them. The guy who bought our motorhome found them because they've <laughs> fallen down inside the easy chair. Two years later, <laughs> we found my keys. They were hung up on the inside of the easy chair. And it, so if you'd that? had the tracker on it, it would have beep, I, that, beep, beeped and it would have told us where to look. It really is a good example, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I really would have found it then. How about a Yeti cooler? Those are really expensive. <laughs> I can't imagine spending 300 um, but if you need something that stays cool all the time, good friend, good quality, I guess. And they said their Yeti mugs are really hold the temperature for a nice long time. So, who knows? Hinge lights from Amazon, which you're about to get. I don't know what that is. Well, that's is very cool because when you open the door, it's a light that fits on the hinge, and it has an LED light which goes on. So, like in your ki- your kitchen cabinets. Oh, you're oh, putting that in these our are, in yeah. our. Mar- uh, they're inexpensive little LED lights that have a, a, a switch so that when you open the door, the light goes on. And you can just put them on various places. I got like 10 of them for $10. Do you stick them on? I don't know exactly how they attach. It says they, go on, the, it says they go on the hinge. It has a battery. Uh-huh. But you have to replace it. But they last for 10 years. That's about how long I'm going to last. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right. Now, we want to talk a little bit about... Uh, 
another interesting gizmo. Have you tried an air fryer? No. Why not? I'm not sure I need one. (laughs) Has anybody out there tried an air fryer? If you have, please tell us whether you like it or not. We're thinking about getting it. We are not of one mind at the moment. I was surprised that Consumer Reports gave it a very good review and said that air frying is almost as good as grease frying. And, of course, that would be a huge plus. But we haven't tried it yet, so we're we're in the process of deciding. Now, what I think I do have is the Instapot. And I have joined the Instapot Facebook page, which has thousands and thousands of recipes. And this very day, I'm making an Instapot dinner for the co-pilot and myself. And we have had a pretty good time with the Instapot. We have it here at home, but we have not bought one for the RV but who knows? One reason why it appeals to the RV community is because it's able to replace or do the work of a number of different appliances. Because it's a pressure cooker, it's a slow cooker. A rice maker. Um, you can make maker. yogurt. You can use it as a heater to keep whole, whole foods at you a warm temperature. You can use it as a slow cooker. I said that already. Did you? So it does seven different kinds of things all Sautéing. So I'm going to be sautéing chicken and then making cracked chicken this afternoon. Cracked. Cracked chicken. That's what it's called. (laughs) It's in a complex recipe. But because it's a pressure cooker, things cook very quickly, which is nice for the motorhome. Or if you want to make it a slow cooker, you can let it cook the whole afternoon. So it's got multiple choices. Very active Facebook community with tons and tons of recipes, and people are very excited about it. And now that we're slightly after Black Friday when people ordered millions of them, apparently they're up in arms because they did not come on their two-day prime and they're no, upset. they were overwhelmed. They were yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. Apparently Amazon sold over a million of them. One thing I like is that the main cooking container comes out of the heating element readily and is very easy to clean or put in well, the dishwasher. And it, and it kind of solves the problems of Pressure cookers. My mother used a pressure cooker for a lo- for years and years and years, but it was a very manual process. I mean, you had to virtually stand there and watch it while it cooked because otherwise it might blow up. But this is all automatic and electronically controlled so that the pressure system works flawlessly. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Talk to me later about how I did with my Instapot. But if you have had one and you use one, well, let me know. If you I'm have more interested in the air fryer. Are they worth the space that you have to give up to have one? When we look on the Facebook page where people who have RV questions correspond regularly, one area of constant consternation is storing stuff in the kitchen. Uh, so I found a link to a website that had some suggestions on good ways to store things or areas to Think about using for storage that you might not have thought about at home in a sticks and bricks where you have more room. So it talks about using your cabinet doors for various racks. I've seen knife racks for kitchen doors, and in our motorhome, I have a spice rack, which is far preferable to the drawer where I used to have the spices, which when we had mice that one time, the um, mouse ate all the labels off of all the spices, and now I have to open the jar and smell it to see what the spice is. (laughs) 
Well, that's why we get those strange tasting foods. <laughs> it's much better to leave the spices hanging See, on the door. See, then the Instapot really makes some great stuff. And they talk about various containers you can use, stackable containers, um, investing in shelves rather than just stacking dishes. Um, so take a look at that article and see if it gives your imagination a nudge about how you can best stow all your stuff. I would say overall my philosophy is to cram my cabinets as full of stuff as possible because no matter what you do, it shifts around. And if it doesn't have too much room for shifting... Um, and if you put stuff in baskets... It's, then... very, it's less likely to attack you when you first park and open the door. Which, being that we moved around a lot, we had big problems with. Every once in a while, the refrigerator would collapse and fall open, and there would be stuff all over the place. The FMCA last summer announced a great Internet deal. Unlimited Internet for $50 a month, uh, uh, cellular Internet. Unfortunately, Verizon, I think as we mentioned, decided that they were not going to fulfill their end of the contract, which was providing the data. So that kind of went out the window. But FMCA, which is the Family Motor Coach Association, for RVers uh, announced a new plan uh, which probably in, is more reasonable and probably will actually be put into effect. So if you're looking for a reasonable data plan, and this is data only, data plan for your travel adventures, then you might want to contact FMCA, if, especially if you're a member, because for something like $50 a month, you get 25 gigabytes of data plus a free hotspot. So this could provide you with a, a decent amount of data. They always talk about unlimited plans, but unlimited means, yes, you can have unlimited, but they're going to throttle your speed. So it's hard to use um, what you would consider to be unlimited without having uh, throttled speed. So unlimited 25 gigahertz worth of data, which is a decent amount, for $50. I'm sorry, did you say where the Wi-Fi comes from? Who's the? Uh, it's Verizon again. It's Verizon again. <laughs> I guess they just re- renegotiated with Verizon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Verizon kind of said, oh, what did we do? And we're not going to make good on that that promise or that contract, so goodbye. This, this, which carrier to use is, has been a constant question in our minds and maybe we said this before but from our previous trip the one that we just interrupted in the northwest um, we have been very pleased with our AT&T service and coverage yes Um, we have been amazed how often we've been able to stream movies even and how even in what appeared to us to be extremely remote and boony places all these places Great Basin National Park where the services the next services were 162 miles away we still had excellence uh, Wi-Fi service. Which is amazing. Um, and We gave up AT&T a few years ago. When we had problems with the coverage. Because but we, we drove, were in Maine then. So. Well, but no, we drove across the plains and we didn't have service no, with that AT&T. No, that was Sprint. Mm-hmm. That was, but when we went to Maine, we couldn't yeah. get, we couldn't use our AT and T. So we really can't make any conclusions about the entire country because coverage varies from place to place. But our recent experiences have been very positive. We haven't had one night when we weren't uh, covered by AT and T. So that's a pretty amazing service. I'm seeing this question here that you must have gotten off the Facebook page about: Can my RV be hooked up to 50 amp? If it's only a 30-amp RV. And your answer is? Of course. <laughs> but what's the limitation? Well, you yeah. need, so with an adapter. You need the plug. 
you can plug in your 30 amp RV with its thin plug, thin wire, into the 50 amp plug on the pedestal. That's not a problem. So you need a conversion plug just as we do with our 50 amp unit when we have to use 30 amp. And what happens when you do that? I get frustrated. Why? Because I can't cook. Because you can't cook. So if I plug in my 30 amp to a 50 amp box or a 50 amp plug, do I get 50 amps? No, because your rig can't handle it. How does the rig know? It is what it is. It's a 30 30 amp circuit. It's a 30 amp circuit. And in, boy, she is learning, ladies and gentlemen. This this lady knows (laughs) her electricity. I hate electricity. (laughs) She knows her electricity. The bottom line is is that your rig will have 30 amp fuses in it so, so that the maximum it will draw will be in the 30 amp range. So even if you plug it into a 50 amp pedestal, you won't get any more electricity. It will just be available should you be able to use it. Um, now when we plug in the 50 amp into the 30, uh, we could easily blow the pedestal, which the Navigator co-pilot has done. More than once. More than once. Blown the pedestal because we're drawing too much power from a 30-amp circuit because she was expecting 50. And, of course, oh, I don't know if I want to get into this. And, of course, 50 amps is really 100 amps. So going from a 30-amp RV to a 50-amp plug, actually it has two 50-amp circuits in that 50-amp plug. So you no good. So that you actually have 100 amps. But when you plug in your 30-amp adapter, you're, you have 50 amps available to you, but you won't be able to use it because the breakers in your motorhome or your travel trailer will blow first. And, of course, those of you who like to go visit your children and park your rig in their driveway and mooch <laughs> off of their house electricity might need the kind of plug that uh-huh. steps you all the way down to 20 amps, which means you can hardly do a thing, but at least you won't drain your batteries yes with 30 amp it's easy to run at least one air conditioner and do most things um, but one of the things that people fail to co- to consider when they are plugging in is that one of the first things that happens is, is that they start to charge their batteries and battery charging can take 20 amps so it's easy to blow a fuse even when you're hardly first- doing anything Right, and it's primarily because you're charging your batteries if they have been used during the day or they're running your refrigerator or whatever. So one of the things we have to do is is turn down the battery charger so that it doesn't draw so much. It takes longer to charge the batteries, obviously, but it gives us more power for use inside the RV when we plug into something small, amperage-wise. But voltage is always the same. The 20-amp, the 30-amp, and the 50-amp all are 110 volts. So that's not an issue. The voltage is always the same. It's just the amount of power. So it's like saying you have a big hose coming in and just a little uh, connector on the end for a garden hose. That's 20 amp. And if you have a little bit bigger pipe, then it's 30 amp. And if you have a big pipe, if you're able to take care of all the power, then it's 50 amp or 100 amp. (laughs) Do we understand? Kind of. But that's a question that keeps coming up of people just... So I'm not the only confused person. You are not at all the only confused person. So I'm trying to have a little newbie discussion here for some folks that uh, don't quite understand how the electricity works. But they don't want to blow up their RV, which is good. Or their pedestal. So you just need an adapter. And this is 
all, across all types of RVs. Commonly available. It, it's logical when you are a camper that you stay in a campground, but it can be fun to stay at all sorts of other kinds of places, especially if you have the ability to keep yourself going for a while without plugging into a pedestal for electricity or for water. And on this trip, you heard us talk a number of times about camping at casinos, which are readily available in Nevada and any place where there are Native <laughs> American Nevada, yeah. Native American tribal lands. That's uh-huh. a, um, a money, a revenue generator for them. So we have camped in casinos. Well, some of them have campgrounds, and some of them are just parking in the parking lot. So we've camped in casinos a number of times on this trip, yes. but we saw a new alternative. Yes. I think we've talked at one time about the program where you can camp in vineyards, which friends have told us is also um, a great way to go. We've not done it ourselves. But that's this, a membership. But this new one is for camping in golf courses. And for a $99 annual fee, uh, you get a list of golf courses that will allow you to camp on their property. Park, and park in their parking lot, boondocking usually. And they give you deals on golf which is good for us. This, I think, we think is a little bit more viable because how many places have vineyards where you can go camp or the harvest host? Every state in our country has a vineyard. I think there are many more golf courses than there are uh, vineyards. So the next time we do a trip that involves uh, quite a few nights uh, traveling, we will probably check out this membership. So we'll give you a report once we've done it ourselves. Another thing that people are really afraid of um, that really hasn't been much of a problem for us is is, uh, mountains. (laughs) There are numerous people who have this fear of driving in the mountains. And, of course, they talk about uh, the Smokies and uh, coming through Chattanooga and other places as being mountain driving. Well, they have not driven in the mountains until they've been out west. And you've gone across on, on 80 in particular through the mountains of uh, the Colorado. But there is a website that does, it's called the Flattest Route, and it allows you to see the elevation changes that you're going to be making on any proposed route. Now, as I said, this this 200 miles that we drove across uh, Utah and Nevada, <laughs> we would go up to 3,000 feet, and then we would come down, and then we would go up, and then we would come down. Now, Mountain driving to me is when you do switchbacks on a narrow road, um, and there are many places that do this. But most of these highways, uh, they cut through passes or something, and so the road is fairly straight, and it's just you go up and then you come down. So you take five miles to go up and then five miles to come down, and then you go ten miles across the valley and then you go five miles up and five miles down. But don't you think people who are maybe slightly underpowered or overloaded and are worried about stopping stopping or getting to the top of a hill with their load um, are more concerned about even an expressway yes, driving be, but, through mountains? Uh, but yes, but I don't think that this is particularly tricky driving. If your rig is set up for it, we didn't have any real trouble, although there were times when we couldn't go 65 miles an hour, but uh, that's no big deal. The recent drive I will never forget is the drive from St. George to Las Vegas, which was pretty flat. And then we went into a canyon, which must have been related to the Grand Canyon, and we dropped like a cannonball out of the sky 800 feet 
and then we drove flat again. So if we had run this um, website ahead of time, we would have known what to expect, and I wouldn't have been on the phone chatting with my sister, <laughs> who got cut off when we fell into the canyon. That was quite a drive, but that's on a four-lane superhighway, but uh, once again, it goes up and then it goes down. And we're looking at at the app right here, and we see that our drive from Las Vegas down to Tucson, which is where we're headed after uh, after in, the holidays, after the holidays, we will be uh, two months in Tucson, and the drive goes up and then it comes down, and then it goes up and then it goes down. So these are just typical drives out here in the West, and it's on a two-lane road, road, but uh, <laughs> because you don't see any traffic, it really doesn't cause you much of a of a problem. It's a fairly boring drive, I would say. How do you get your Amazon packages on the road? Well, most of the time I don't order them unless I'm in a campground for a while. Ah, but have you used Amazon lockers? No. We just saw Amazon lockers. We were downtown Chicago, and we saw a whole bank of Amazon lockers where they store packages, and you come and pick them up. How do you designate where it's going to go? I assume you say the locker. I don't know. You need the address of the locker? I don't know. You probably say the locker at Kohl's. But what, well. I think many Kohl's are, are starting to offer Amazon lockers, and, of course, it seems like uh, Walmart <laughs> is starting to offer delivery in their stores too so you can order online and get it in. or you can just give them the key to your motor home and let them put it inside the door which is what we do <laughs> so that's not a problem no we uh have left the bay door open and said just put it into the bay and they do that they're very nice about that well i see that time is flying by here and we have Christmas things to do. I have a tree to put up. She has a tree to put up. And she has to start singing Christmas carols. We will carol our way out of this podcast and say goodbye. And next month, where will we be? Oh, this is something else we need help with. Well, we are having a hard time making a decision about how to spend New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. As we you know, we are incredibly cheap, so we never <laughs> spend the money to go out. And so we always have a $3 bottle of champagne and enjoy it with you. With you. Um, but because we're going to be in Las Vegas on New Year's Eve, it feels like we should be doing something more. I mean, that's party central. But in our limited research before we left the city, um, not surprisingly, everything we wanted to do cost a million dollars. And we discovered that the fireworks show, which will surely be grand because it's going off at eight different casinos, only lasts for eight minutes. And to battle the crowds and the traffic and stand around in what will probably be cold. Yes, in, Las Vegas in, can be cold. In the evening for eight minutes of fireworks. We're just not quite sure what we are going to do. So we will... They close off Las Vegas Avenue um, to traffic and so that all the people can congregate out in the street. But what do you do for three or four hours until the eight minutes worth of fireworks? Eh. And we also looked at going to Fremont Street, which you buy an armband for 50 bucks, and you can go inside the property, and there are bands and stuff there. Right. Uh, so if anybody has any great ideas for activities for New Year's Eve, rather than... In Las than, Vegas. In Las Vegas, rather than spending it with your podcasting friends, we would have to make the podcast a little bit early if we decide to do something. Which has happened before. Which has happened before. But we will be there on New Year's Eve to greet 2018 with you. 
we hope that you will be listening on New Year's Eve we with us. won't be up yet. But we hope that you'll be listening to the podcast. And if you're going to be in Tucson or Las Vegas at the beginning of 2018, let us know. And we will make the arrangements to come and visit or to visit with you. Uh, other than that, we will sing some Christmas carols. <coughs> Oh, holy night. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to sing any Christmas carols. We need our ears. <laughs> so with that, we will say adieu for 2017, and we'll see you next year. At a campground near us. Absolutely. Happy New Year and happy travels. <laughs>